0: This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek, and today I am with Steve Cockrum. Steve
1: is in the house from London. How are you today, sir? I'm doing very well. Jeremy, thank you very much. Yes, it's sunny in London today. I know everyone looks forward to the weather update the snow is gone the sun has come hey it's uh it no no travel for us this
0: week right that's good it's very good yeah 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 i've got to go to california next week and i know you've you've got travel coming up uh coming to oklahoma actually i'm excited to have you uh in oklahoma city which is going to be great Got any words of wisdom for for us uh, to start before we we jump into our world today? Any any banter, anything you want to make
1: fun of, of me or anyone else? I I never make fun of you, Jeremy. You make fun of yourself, so that's fine. Um, (laughs) I think I I, I posted onto uh, social media. I I know there's a very strange game that you Americans don't really fully understand called cricket, but it was a really interesting ethical moment um, where... Basically, Australia, who who have let's just say tendencies from the past, which uh, you know will remain <laughs> will remain doubtful. stereotypes. Yeah, well, we, we don't want to stereotype directly, but we had basically one of the most successful, um, probably the, the being compared with Don Bradman as the the best cricket batsman for the last hundred years. Basically, decided at lunchtime in a game in Cape Town that the team would cheat, and they actually. I mean, they did it incredibly badly, but basically they got caught and they came out saying, Yeah, we sat down as the leadership group, as he called it, and we took a conscious decision, which was we couldn't get the ball to reverse swing, so we thought we'd cheat. And they thought they'd get away with it. So for me, it was one of those sobering moments which says, It takes a lifetime to build a reputation, and integrity is um, so hard to earn but so easy to lose. And just that understanding that in the moment of what he will look back on and that team will look back on as a appalling defining moment in who they are as leaders, that they will be remembered in history for that, probably more so than any of the statistics that come in. So I think just this idea when we talk about leadership, we're always saying, guys, it's so hard to be a leader. I mean, everyone craves the idea of it but not only is it lonely, but everyone thinks they know better than you do. (laughs) But this idea that basically when you carry real uh, leadership and responsibility, that you carry, as it were, like you you realise the whole of the Australian nation defines their identity through their sport. And you had everything from the prime minister or the president equivalent, basically coming out and saying how appalling it is and how the country has been let down. So one minor indiscretion Um, will undermine influence massively and you know that idea of being intentional versus accidental um, I I feel for them I know it will be a painful process but I think that's my just my little challenge to me and to the rest of us to go guys where where are we in danger Um, where is it we're likely to basically do something that is stupid that will define our leadership having spent so many years trying to learn how to be a liberator how to be for people how to be um, the family people that we are. Any thoughts on that one, Jeff?
0: Yeah, no, I've I've had to deal with this recently in coaching a certain person through this a uh, very similar situation, and uh, you know they got into a situation of of uh, trying to get ahead and did something that was uh, just on that gray ethics line, mm. and uh, man, it's just not worth it. And that's where I think that the only thing I'd say would be, what's their attitude? back mm-hmm. is it go back to are they responsive mm-hmm. or resistant the reality is yes we're going to screw up and yes their re- reputation is going to get tarnished um but if they have a repentant responsive mm-hmm. heart um it usually it can be it can come back in a different way they're still going to have an issue mm-hmm. of trust for a while oh, but yeah. if they're responsive they'll versus if they're resistant saying i yep We did it, or (laughs) I didn't do it, or you know, like I can think of Lance Armstrong years ago, Mm but in in saying I didn't do drugs, I didn't, I never ever did this, ever ever. And then it comes out he did, and you know, so the resistance that was happening because he was a fear of, of being caught. And then when he is caught, he's even more resistant. So it it just goes back to, wow, that's just not a person
1: I would would want to trust. You you Americans love a happy ending is what I love about you. So Tiger Woods, (laughs) Tiger Woods would would be the classic example that where you're absolutely right, where somebody owns it, where somebody basically says, I made a terrible mistake. I'll earn your trust back over time. So now you've got Tiger playing golf again and heading towards the Masters and Most of us, I think, you know, there were times when you thought, gosh, were you really the person that deserved that adulation, having come back from so many back surgeries? Do you know, I would be cheering for him coming down the stretch at Augusta, because in some ways, that would be one of the most incredible, happy-ending restorations. So, I'm with you 100%. Maybe that's because I I always say I'm like an American in exile in Britain with a British passport. So, I I I kind of, if somebody really is prepared to own their brokenness and be responsive, then... I'm a big sucker for a happy ending. So there we go. There's my there's my top tip for the masters, Rory McElroy. No. Well, so
0: here's the uh here's the questions that we've been asked. So in fact, um we've I've gotten, I don't know, seven, eight questions here that we've received over time from the four and a half million people that have been listening to the Liberty Podcast. And for those who really wanted to to make sure that we're auditing that four and a half million. Uh, we don't. We don't know if it's exactly a four and a half million. It might be a little less, <laughs> or a lot less. But no, it's just a joke. But the the simple fact that uh, for those who are listening, we have had a few people send in questions over time. I've got them collected today,
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: we thought today would be kind of great to go through that list and kind of the mailbag.
1: The big issue in our statistics, Jeremy, is we seem to have plateaued in our listenership. If we've been stuck at we we've been stuck at four and a half million for about the last six podcasts. So, please, can you uh, promote it and put something nice on iTunes about how much you appreciate us and see if you would mind the five million barrow, five million. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, just tell people about it and get your mom and your your dog to listen as well. So that would be really helpful. Uh, today, there are a couple of questions that we get asked all the time. We're going to start it this way, and we'll get into your questions. A couple of them are—it's kind of funny, even for my own family, uh, parents. Uh, now, what do you what do you guys do? What are, <laughs> what does Giant do? And and then we'll I'll let I'll answer that one. Then I'll let you answer the question, Steve, of uh, why we started Giant worldwide. And but what do we do? In essence, um, we believe – it's really a strong why. We believe that the world needs better leaders. That's where it really started with Giant. Um, And so we need better teams. We need stronger cultures. And so what we've done is we've figured out, Steve and I and our team, and we've got over 100 Giants working in about 12 countries now as consultants in in leadership and team transformation and culture – but we figured out how to transform people and how to transform leaders to become self-aware and self-regulate, which is really, really hard. And we figured out how to do it through creating a common language, through creating a um, uh, visual tools, and those tools and that language really, really affects the transformation and multiplication. So we figured out how to transform leaders, and then we figured out how to teach them. How to multiply themselves in their circles of influence, whether it's at home, team, organization, and with themselves, but it all starts with the individual leader, which we call a liberator so that's what what's what we do in giant there's probably better ways to say it, but what we do in essence is we we are consulted to come in to transform people and to teach them how to multiply what they've learned inside their organization and when they do, they take this content and these programs and these systems. And it actually works, and we've been seeing it over and over and over again. You might want to add anything to that, Steve, or or you can tee it up to why we started um, Giant Worldwide, and then we'll get into the questions.
1: I think no, that's really good, Jeremy. I'm not going to add to to that, but just to say, good job. I think that the why. I think anyone who's ever been an entrepreneur and started a business, you often understand the answer why many years after you began the process. And then you can either pretend you knew exactly what you were doing in the beginning um, and everyone thinks you're very clever or you can be honest and say, I think in the beginning we didn't have as much clarity on why we're doing it as we do now. But I think kind of the, the, the simple principle was when people say, well, why did you guys do this? I think I was 42 at the time. You were about 28, weren't you, or something? you were a lot yeah, younger absolutely. A lot younger Thank than you. Very few people get a chance in the middle of their life uh, to actually ask what have i learned so far and what are we actually observing in the work and the consulting we're doing and i think our general conclusion was if we were honest the old ways of doing leader development of doing the the events the workshops the you know the luncheon learns the books all of the things that kind of um, we kind of did what we found was we weren't actually having the same level of impact that we had maybe you know, a decade before. And that really, I think, set us on a course of asking the question, um, what has changed in our culture? And as we move from what we would now call, as we move from the late industrial age into the digital world, what are the things that leaders are going to have to deal with that they weren't dealing at the beginning of our careers? And um, we basically went and talked to a whole host of leaders that we trusted and respected and said, What are the things you're really facing? So rather than come with our pre-packaged programs of, well, would you like to do this course or that course? We went back to the beginning. And the five things that they said most commonly that we distilled down were, How do I do leadership in a world where work never stops? In the old days I used to go to work, I used to come home from work and I had a weekend. Now I'm living in a world thanks to email and thanks to kind of a global communication infrastructure that in theory, I've got America filling my inbox in the morning, I've got Asia filling it in the evening, I've got basically an expectation that I'm always on, and it's almost three 7 I've got people burning out, I've got people with stress, I've got physical issues. How do I stay physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually well in a world which feels very different from when I began my career? So that was one. Do you want me to do all five or not?
0: Uh, That's good. No, that's where the gears came from. I mean, really, we we had a a massive um, (laughs) aha in our own life. So, yeah, so for those who love the five gears, that was a key point. Keep going. What's number two? So number two
1: was how do I learn to lead through influence more than positional power? So the move away from hierarchical structure to much flatter, faster, agile, um, accounting, but also realising there's a generation growing up who don't just do things because they're told to do it. This growing realisation that leadership is more about influence than positional power, and a lot of the leaders we were dealing with were struggling to understand, how do I relate to a a group they call millennials, which interestingly by 2025 will be 60% of the workforce, how do I relate to a group of people that don't seem to follow the same patterns of rules I had, And how am I going to lead when the rules seem to be different? So that was the second one, which, as you know, we we spent a long time trying to look at how do you become a leader worth following, not because someone has to follow you because of your positional authority. That's been at the very core of the the mission of Giant, I guess. Um, The third one was in a world now where so many more people are transmitting But very few people are communicating effectively. So there's more information in our world than there's ever been. And email has been a huge part of that process. Leaders asking the question, which is, how do I communicate more effectively in a world where concentration spans are shorter? People don't read like they used to. Everything is basically instant. How do I engage with a worldview where we were able to show them, I guess, where the world is increasingly visual it has to be interactive, and it has to have rapid practical application. So if you're someone who's writing long emails, um, or standing in front of people speaking for 30, 40 minutes from a PowerPoint presentation, you may think that you are communicating. The reality is you're transmitting, but there's no guarantee that the person on the other end is able to understand it, hear it, engage with it. So just that understanding of how you communicate and engage with the world, your employees, your clients, the world around you is having to change for leaders.
0: Which is so relevant to where from my background in, in the event world, training, and publishing world. Of Just to say people look at things differently. Look at the TED conferences. Mm. TED is a seven-minute um, pitch, keynote, uh, seven to 12 minutes in some cases. So it's like they've figured out uh, just the attention span and had to keep people's attention with a singular topic mm. to be able to communicate through all of the clutter that's out there. So absolutely.
1: No, number four? Number four was um, the need in a, in a world where no one individual had all the answers to solve a complex problem. Increasingly, they were saying, we've got to learn how we build agile collaborative teams who are actually able to work together to solve complex problems that no individual ever could. So the idea in their saying is, we used to hire the brightest people we possibly could and effectively put them to work. It didn't matter whether people didn't like them or they rubbed people up the wrong way. We were actually buying their intellect. But in the new world, no amount of intellect in one person can solve what are increasingly complex, um, dynamic situations that change. So the high-performing team and how you build a team that's great in the sum of its parts became more important for leaders than necessarily simply, how do I recruit the brightest and the most intelligent? Because in some ways, they don't necessarily form the most effective teams. And last one? The last one was, um, how do I lead in a world which is digitally connected but geographically dispersed? So in the old days, my team all used to be in the same office, in the same place, and I used to see them every day. Now I'm leading an organization where some of them are in different time zones. We come together as a team, maybe for a specific project or a specific client engagement. But the reality is with Zoom and you know various digital communication pieces, people are dealing with people they're leading in their teams, four of them maybe in different continents, certainly different time zones. And they don't have all of that historic relational connection. They might only see each other once or twice a year face to face. How do I how do I stay connected and how do I stay leading people when I don't get the same amount of FaceTime and I don't get the same amount of almost like what we would call third gear, the ability to be with people where work is not the only agenda. That was another mm-hmm. huge issue for people.
0: Well, and that's not for everyone. Obviously, a lot of teams still um, are are not necessarily um, dispersed to that, that degree, but a lot of the companies we work with are. And so mm-hmm. these five components really made up a massive uh, rationale for why we do what we're doing. What we've been telling people, we do tw- uh, leadership for the 21st century, mm-hmm. simply because leadership for the 20th century looks like some of the antiquated books with the uh, – Different laws and different principles and all written down and all types of PowerPoints and different things that just aren't – might be good content, but the model or the connections is not happening because people think and lead differently. I often joke around with people that said that we're entering a world where uh, most people um, – most adults are cynical, know-it-alls, who are task-dominated – they don't read anymore, and they have their own attention issues, <laughs> right? And so that's – I always get head nods, like absolutely. So to go, that's the reality. That's a landscape that we're entering into. So how do you get adults to, one, want to change, uh, not become cynical to what they see, and to take something and, and apply it and have immediate uh, transformation and then train them to want to give that away to other people on the scale? And it's just really, really difficult in this day and age because of the proliferation of content um, and so many different programs. And so that's what we've tried to answer. So uh, hopefully that answers some of the questions of what, what is giant, what what do we do, and why we we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else to add to that before we get to the
1: to our I think our what, questions? What are the little exercises you can do as you listen? Is listen back to those five areas and actually rank them for you, and ask which is the most pressing leadership issue you're currently dealing with because what i'll guarantee is um if you're not dealing with all of them right now you will be as the world moves forward and in some senses um you know five years on we'll always be grateful for those three initial clients who who said guys we love what you're going after we believe that what you're trying to solve is the problem we've got but we also know you don't know the answers yet but we'll effectively be your R and D department and i think the fact that with all of those <laughs> that we're still uh, deeply relationally connected, even working in two of those uh, clients, shows that in some senses we, we really have created something which is, I would say, a market leader, mainly because most people were pi- were having to pivot for what they were already doing. We had the luxury, without knowing it, of almost beginning with a, a blank piece of paper five years ago and saying, what have we learned so far and how can we actually address the issues the world is really dealing with now. So, you know, it sounds like a, an impassioned um, commercial for Giant, but it's only because I genuinely believe that really, almost as always by just, you know, us looking at our own challenges, we've built a people operating system for the for the digital world. And um, people are the key, far more than intelligence in some ways, the capacity to actually build teams that collaborate and win and are actually able to be emotionally intelligent, self-aware, and apply their skills in relationship. All of those things are what you actually need if you're listening. That will be the competitive advantage in the new world. Absolutely. I guarantee it.
0: Absolutely. All right, so here's the questions that we're going to get into, Steve. So um, the questions that have been asked, um, so if an effective leader in our standard is a liberator, Mm -hmm. okay? So for those listening, uh, a liberator is someone who fights for the highest possible good of those that they lead. Uh, they calibrate high support and high challenge uh, with consistency. They're looking for how do they support, what do you need, how do I serve you to give you what you need to do your job. Then I'm going to challenge you by pushing you to the highest levels to hold you accountable, to motivate you. Uh, I'm going to create a culture, a liberator creates a culture of empowerment and opportunity for those they lead. So they turn things green. Okay, That's an effective leader. That's what we call the liberator. Versus the dominator or the protector or the abdicator. And if those listening for a long time, you understand that's what the liberator podcast is about. We're trying to raise up a different standard of leadership called the liberator. So if that's what we claim is an effective leader, the question that we're going to ask and we're going to talk about here is how do we stay motivated? How does a liberator stay motivated when they're uh, dealing with drama and issues and pressure and people? So... Personally, uh, so I'm going to start with you, Steve, and I'll answer it too. Um, how, do you stay, how do you stay motivated as to, to be a liberator when sometimes it's easier just to be a dominator
1: or to abdicate? That's a good question, actually. I think for me, um, I'm very rational, reasoned, and logical. So for me, I have to have undergirding principles of why I do what I do because they're almost the anchor points that I go back to um, to go, why, why, am I, why am I doing what I do? So for me, I think I always begin with the end in mind and say, what is, what am I, what's my life vision, my life passion? And in some senses, how does that continue to shape what I'm doing in the present? So you know, um, for me, my, I love you know, the idea of going, how do I help people truly discover who they are at their core, what we call their identity, how do we help them find what they're really passionate about to remove those inhibitions and prohibitions? What would people do with their lives if they had a real choice? And how do you then begin to help people live into that reality? So I think for me that that that, that being a liberator, for me the, the the call is almost I I'm almost my life is to be a liberator for liberators. That every day that's my lens of going. How do I live? the limited life that I have, where actually wherever I go, I'm intentional in that process. And I think for me, knowing that purpose, knowing that's what I do at my best, knowing that's where I get, I guess, the greatest sense of reward, even though it's hard at times, I actually have to write those things down. So if you ask me, why do I do what I do? What am I passionate about? You'll get the same answer, and you will have got the same answer for the last five, 10 years, because that's the anchor Point for me, which I go back to when I go. Why am I getting out of bed this morning? Okay, this is why. Mm-hmm. What about you?
0: And it, yeah, same. I have, and uh, we talked about this. Called it. We call it the daily charge. I have to wake myself up. I did it this morning. I got up a little earlier, and I reminded myself who I am. And, um, you said you're a rational and logical, I guess I'm an irrational, illogical person and now I'm joking, but I am much more emotional, uh, than Steve from the, uh, ENFP versus the ENTP. But the feeler in me, it's really interesting. I have to, um, I have to make sure that I'm, I'm good with three areas. Um, one with myself and do, do I feel good personal integrity uh two, with God, am I connected to, to God in a way that I feel is right from a faith perspective? And three, my wife, mm-hmm. um am, am, is are we connected? Are we doing well? And if I'm off in one of those areas, it really affects my motivation for everything else. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning this to know myself, to lead myself. I'm learning I have to be solid there. And so I realized I've been incre I've been kind of abdicating in those areas a little bit here lately. And I'm like, huh, I had a wake up call this, this last week, this weekend in particular. So I got up this morning. I've just reminded myself I I worked out this weekend. I did some things this morning. I just went back to some of my old uh, rituals, if you will, to motivate myself and to get myself because uh, like you and I are very similar, but people need us and we've got to be full. Mm -hmm. I've got to be full for them to get anything out of me. If I'm not full, there's no water, there's nothing in the fountain, they're not going to have anything to drink. So, what does it look like for my cup to overflow mm-hmm. enough for other people to receive that, which is really the mo- the motivation for me. So, the motivation was actually, I saw a friend and I kind of felt this way, like I didn't have much to offer and that was motivation for me to go, you know what, I need to go back to my source so I can have motivation, I can have something for, for him. So, um, good all right. Next question. The next question is: um, How do we, as leaders, um, how do we uh, connect with those who fall below you on the org chart? Mm-hmm. So the idea is, if you, if you're any of you listening, right, you've got people that you might connect with, but they might not be on your team, uh, or they might be on your team, but they're one, two, three layers below you. How do you connect with them? How do you communicate with them? Uh, this obviously was a question of, of a concern or an issue from one of our listeners. So how do you do that effectively well without, you know, uh,
1: I don't know, messing it up? Any any thoughts on that, Steve? Yes. Um, a lot of thoughts on that, actually. Um, the first thing to say is you, you have to have favorites, which I know some of you will go, that, that can't be true. What I'll say is that you will never, ever, as a leader, um, ever have a supply and demand curve that goes in your favor if you have real influence. So by that I mean the, the more effective you are as a leader, the more people know you to be a liberator, the more people will want to pull from you. And if your tendency is to try and help everybody, you will end up getting personally overwhelmed and end up helping nobody particularly well. So I think that's the first thing i say, is you've actually got to know your own tendencies to know, okay, who is going to get what access and at what level? Because you can't have unfettered access to people. And I, I think that's, the, who are your core team in a work context? Who are the people who actually you are leading the organisation in and through? And they have to be the priority. So I would say to you, if I looked at your phone records, your text messages and your calendar, I should be able to know who the most important people in your life are. Um, and it's not you don't care about the others, but you have to create different ways they, they can relate. So I always say if you are tempted to do one-to-ones for your team's team, <laughs> then you're always going to end up in trouble because the reality is people will always try and get around the line management structure to get to the place of greatest influence. And by trying to help, you'll not only undermine uh, the people in your team, you will also basically create a level of uh, expectation which you can't sustain. So one of the things I often say to people is, is why don't you set a couple of fixed times a month where you invite the people who are in your team's teams, usually 30, 40 people, and have a breakfast and a lunch, not on the same day, and the goal is you say, you all get an invite, I'm going to have it for 45 minutes or an hour, whatever it is, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of what I'm seeing at the moment. So, you know, people are always interested in what are you seeing, what are the trends, and a little bit of intro, 15, 20 minutes of intro max, and then I'm just going to do Q&A, and I'm going to give you a chance to ask the questions, because one of the other things you'll find is leaders are usually pretty good at talking. I would much rather I've learned actually address the real issues that those people, they feel connected to you, they don't feel as connected as your immediate team, because they're not meant to that they feel a degree of relational access. And what most people are looking for from leaders is, how do I feel like I'm connected in a meaningful way in hearing the direction of travel and have a chance to have some kind of engagement with you? So that's my kind of top tip. I don't know what you think on that, Joe.
0: Absolutely. I would add to that discretion and discipline is one of our tools, Mm -hmm. and it's a tool that's so helpful for me because I've gotten in trouble with this a lot in my life because I get so excited and the excitability, I want to talk to people who are excited, and if they think they're excited, I'll keep talking, (laughs) And so, especially historically. um, And so this this tool is real simple. Uh, What to share and how much, uh, who do I share it with, and are they the right people, and when do we share it, and is now the right time? And oftentimes, especially if you have a title, uh, a, a bigger title, what to share and how much. And mm-hmm. If you share it to, with the wrong people, they'll take it as a promise or they think that you're that you need, that you're expecting something or they won't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So they'll go to someone else and it spreads all types of chaos. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back to you and all you were saying is like, all I was doing was just talking about an idea. What's the big deal? I don't understand. So the, the reality is um, to really communicate to those below you in the organization chart, you almost have to stay to the standards of the boundaries you've already set. If you're the leaders, you define the culture. So Steve has some great points of, of ways you can do that to where you can speak in. Um, I'm In fact, I'm coaching a senior leader of a large firm tomorrow. That's something that he does quite often. And it's a skill set of his to go in and be disruptive, and I'm uh, <laughs> actually trying to work with them on how to do this and how to make that, um, how to not uh, go in and and really really mess up the, the entire organization mm-hmm. simply because you're excited. So, um, but there's ways to do it, and hopefully you've got some some uh, ideas. That's again one tool and one idea for you. Um we have to finish we've got to wrap up but before we go i want to ask i want to mention uh, one thing Um, if you are an organization or team that wants to get to the next level realizing that it's the 21st century and that what you've done is maybe not working to the levels that that you want it to then i would just ask you to uh simply reach out um just in a simple email uh justin at dot com. just send an email and um uh, of, of interest, and we'll we'll set up a, a call or have a call set up to talk to you if you want to take your team to the next level or if you want help um, and it, it, from any of those uh, perspectives that we've talked about today. Steve, do you have any last words for us before we go? Any hoorah?
1: Hoorah! It sounds like I've just joined the Marines with uh, Brian Williamson. No, I think um, I, I love the opportunity. I mean, thank you for asking the questions. I think what you know is we we can talk on this stuff. It's been our passion because it's also been our struggle. And uh, you'll, you'll hear again that constantly go, you never graduate the School of Self-Awareness. You, you, never, you never get there, unfortunately, because the tendencies and patterns we have as leaders, the moment we become accidental, they basically reappear. And I think that just understanding from where I started at the beginning of how hard it is to be consistent over an extended period of time how hard it is to be someone who keeps that level of integrity and trust and discipline and discretion that Jeremy alluded to. But I think just the, the the challenge to go, that is what the world is looking for, that there are so few people who are actually committed to that path, let alone with the tools to do it. So we say if you can become a leader worth following um, and learn how to build leaders worth following, you will lead the teams and organisations everyone wants to work for. So it's it's one of those ones where the prize is huge, but the price is most people will not make that journey. So just that continued encouragement to many of you who I know are really committed to this process to go, don't give up. It's, it's one of those ones where you have to be intentional every day and you have to basically keep reminding yourself, why do I do what I do and what is the real prize that I'm going after? So there's my
0: final thought. We need, uh, we need more leaders. We need more leaders who are worthy to follow, and we need more liberators. And we're hoping that you can understand it. We're hoping we help you, encourage you, give you wisdom, insight, tools, language, concepts to do that. So that's our goal and our whole purpose of the Liberator podcast. Yeah, if you'd help us get past 5 million, just telling people about the Liberator podcast, that would be awesome. We wish you all the best. Have a brilliant week. Talk to you later. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.